You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Van. Thanks for tuning in to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Yep. Uh, We've talked a lot about financial planning and reevaluating goals and making your plan goal-oriented, but also just making sure we revisit things over time. So today we wanted to dive into, you know, what does it mean to develop a financial plan? But then what does it mean to engage in financial planning and some of the nuances of that and why they're both important? So we're going to start a little bit about like what the different pieces are of a financial plan. And then we're going to go into like the reasons we need to revisit it and, and what all of that looks like over time and how you might need to adjust things over time. So I think the, the really important part to start with is that you do need a very comprehensive review of what your finances look like at the beginning when you get started with planning. You want to build a financial plan. You want to build it based on what your goals are. You want to build it based on your current circumstances. And you want to make sure that you're kind of crossing your T's and dotting your I's. And that's what building the plan will do for you. It'll make sure that you're kind of hitting all the points that you need to point or hit on. So. You know, do we have adequate emergency reserves? If something happens, are we insulated? Do we have something to rely on? Do we have a good plan for our debts? Is it is it manageable? Do we need to restructure it? Do we need to be more aggressive with it? Do we need to make sure we're balancing it with our other goals? I think insurances is another big thing that like going through and developing a comprehensive financial plan will do for you because I feel like that's one thing that a lot of people skip. Like we don't want to think about the bad things that could potentially happen. But really with your financial plan, we want it to be successful even if some of those bad things do happen and building in some insurances and and sharing some of those risks with an insurance carrier is a very important part of that. We also wanna look at what our short-term goals are. Do we wanna buy a house? Do we wanna go on a vacation? Do we have a plan for meeting those short-term goals? And then probably the thing that a lot of people like to focus on is the long-term goals. It's like the retirement funding, getting to that point where we don't have to work anymore, making sure we can put our kids through college and that they have a decent education. For some people, it's even legacy planning. Like, what do I want to leave behind? Do I want to build up enough wealth that I have something at that point to leave to, you know, my grandkids or my kids or, or some charitable causes? There's a lot of things that that people think about and they they build this plan. But, you know, when you're building this plan and you're in your 30s, you're using a, a lot of assumptions about what the next 30, 60 years looks like and things will always change. So I think the one thing that we know for sure about a financial plan when you set it up is that it's wrong. You know, like, sure, we have it. Yay. This is great. We did our job. But there are too many variables and there are too many moving pieces to just set it and forget it. So, Corey, jump into some reasons why. (laughs) Why is it wrong? (laughs) And just to step back for a second, the idea of having a comprehensive financial plan and a lot of people envision that as like a 
formal document with all the different pages in it that outlines all the different things you're supposed to be doing. And you could either obviously put that together yourself or meet with a financial planner and spend a few thousand dollars for a standalone financial plan. Um, but I, I feel like that can be overwhelming for a lot of people and it doesn't necessarily need to be like a formal document, if you will, like just having, you know, I, I love Carl Richards's work and, you know, we've had him on the podcast before, uh, but one of his books is titled the one page financial plan. And it's literally just one page at the top. You have your statement of purpose. Like what's your main objective in life? Like, what do you want money to do for you? And you know, it could just be as simple as a sentence. Like I, I want to be able to spend time with my family, you know, doing the things that I enjoy doing. Um, simple, easy. So that's where you want to focus your energy on and make everything revolve around achieving that goal. Um, but then you can just bullet point. Like Rochelle said, we have all these things, emergency reserves, debt, insurances, et cetera. It's okay. We're going to put, you know, $1,000 a month extra towards our mortgage. We're going to, you know, invest 3000 a month for retirement. We're going to put 500 a month into each kid's college account. You know, just kind of some, some quick, short and easy bullet points so you could tape it on the fridge and there's your financial plan. You know what you need to do. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be this girthy manual. Um, but to your point, Rochelle, we know for sure, whatever you end up doing, even if you have a financial, like one of those fancy financial plans that software created and has projections and graphs and colors in it, we know it's incorrect because life, life changes, things happen. You know, you move, you switch jobs, you get married, maybe get divorced, buy a house, sell a house, have kids, sell kids. Just kidding. But like your situation evolves and you don't and you need to make sure you're updating your financial strategy to reflect those life changes. So that's where the financial planning piece is is 90% of of it. You know, the financial plan gets you started. But from there, we, we got to engage in financial planning to make sure we ultimately reach our goals. I think you're on mute, Rochelle. Darn uh, it. It was you this time, <laughs> not me. Now I'm not. <laughs> I think I've done that a couple times now. But I think probably the best example of something that changes a lot over time is, is retirement planning, especially because, you know, we often start when we're very young and we're planning for something that's not going to happen for 20, 25, 30 years or so. So, I mean, we can do our best to build out some retirement projections, but out of necessity, there are so many variables and assumptions that we are inserting into these calculations. So... All of the different things that we are assuming include things like how much you're able to save. You know, we have to assume here, can we save 20%? Let's assume we can, but what if we can't? What if that's not what happened? Then we need to make some adjustments. You know, how much your employer contributes to your plan is a big variable, especially because most people switch uh, across a few employers over their career. And one employer is not gonna contribute exactly the same as your next employer. So that's, that's a big one too. Uh, investment returns. You know, we talk all the time about how we can't guarantee investment returns. We do our best to kind of create some some projections, but we are using assumptions when we do that. So that's definitely something that has to be revisited over time as well. Inflation is a big deal. We know that it's going to happen, but we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Tax laws change all the time. 
So as you're approaching retirement, that becomes a much bigger deal because, you know, we start to get a better sense of what what kind of tax implications we might face with our retirement funds. Um, I think Social Security will be a big thing, especially for younger listeners. Like our, our parents maybe know what that looks like for them. We don't really know what it looks like for us. It'll probably still be around, but at the same time, like, does it look dramatically different? Is it, you know, is it a reduced benefit amount? How does that look? And then I think healthcare costs is another example of something that's that's constantly evolving. You know, right now we have Medicare and things like that, but like, what does that supplemental coverage look like? How expensive is it going to be to to secure like long term care? Like nursing home costs have skyrocketed. And so there's so many things that that will come up in retirement and we just don't know exactly what they're going to be yet. So over time, this picture starts to become a little bit more clear, but you definitely have to keep revisiting it. And that doesn't even include the what date you're going to retire, how long you're going to live, how long your spouse is going to live, assisted living costs. Like, you know, if, if you could tell me today, you know, how what day you're going to die, what inflation is going to be, what your investment returns will be, what taxes will be, what Social Security will be, um, then, yeah, we could build a pretty solid precise financial plan that says, here's how much you need to put towards each of these things each month or each year, and then boom, you'll be set. But um, but yeah, so many variables at play that it, it really is hard to, to really hit precisely. But the goal is, uh, you know, it's not to try and get it perfect today. The goal is to get something in place today to give us an idea of what direction we're headed and then just be less wrong tomorrow and continue to review and revise and narrow the range of possible outcomes over time so that it's less incorrect as time goes on and, and you'll close slowly narrow in on that that end goal um, and make course corrections along the way. So the financial planning piece, what does that look like, Rochelle? I think it looks different for everyone, but the most important thing is that, you know, we're we're making sure we're revisiting it. And I think there's there's some interesting analogies here. Like Corey came up with one that we were talking about earlier, but basically like if you're gonna go climb Mount Everest, do you purchase a book and then just follow it to the T? It's like chapter one. You fly to Nepal, chapter two, like <laughs> you start your climb in this month of the year because it's going to be the best for weather and like there's all of these things that you can try to predict but then when you get there that's not necessarily what it looks like and you have to be able to evolve so maybe we don't just get a book maybe we hire a guide or a sherpa that knows all of the variables and can help us navigate that journey as it evolves so if you go a little ways and then you make some adjustments like maybe you have a better chance of being successful on your climb. And I think that's true with financial planning too. Like, you know, maybe using a guidebook can be helpful, but also maybe having a little bit of help along the way, someone that that knows their stuff can be really helpful too. Um, and we want to make sure that we're looking at the whole picture as it is, you know, that we're being honest with ourselves as we're reevaluating our plan and not assuming that we can do things that we can't. A lot of times we have we have goals, but we may need to adjust our expectations depending on, on what we're able to accomplish. And I think time is a very good indicator of how successful we're going to be to get there. You know, if you're 
setting up a plan on day one and then two years later you're revisiting and you haven't made nearly the progress that you needed to make, maybe at that point it's time to really look hard at those goals and see like what the priorities are, like what can we put more resources towards to make it happen? What can we maybe diminish our, our expectations of or reduce our expectations of? But there's a lot of a lot of things that that move. And I think it, it, it's really helpful to make sure that you are taking those good, long, honest looks at things. The expectation piece is, is huge because our satisfaction, happiness, et cetera, is all tied to our expectations of what we think our life should look like. And, you know, social media, Instagram, et cetera, has not helped with this matter because most of us compare our status, our well-being relative to those around us. And if we feel like we're doing better than our friends, colleagues, neighbors, et cetera, then we feel pretty good. If we feel like we're, we're behind compared to them, we don't feel as good. And, you know, the social media piece, all you see is a filtered version of everyone's lives. They're, you know, vacation photos, they're you know, margaritas for happy hour, um, you know, the beach, you don't see the fights with the spouses or the, the kids destroying the house, um, their credit card, all bill. The things the kids do <laughs> <laughs> the credit card bill. Yeah. The arguments over that, the, the broken sprinkler in the backyard that floods the lawn. And yeah, like we, we don't see all the negatives that everyone else including you has in their lives. So it's, it's not just all hunky dory for everyone out there. Um, so no, everyone else is just as miserable as you, um, and has all those. <laughs> I feel like that's such a great idea for like a new social media platform. Like let's trademark that right now, Corey. This is the honest one. This is where you get to put all the real right? stuff. <laughs> and if you ever want to feel better there. about yourself, yeah, you like, just well, go to that one. <laughs> my kids aren't as bad as those kids. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, um, I guess, where was I going with this? Um, expectations. Yeah. Like, you know, managing your expectations. Um, I think, you know, Morgan Housel is a great writer. I encourage you to read his, his writing. He had his book psychology of money that came out last year is a fantastic one. Um, but he, he, you know, he talks about how, you know, does your income rise faster than your expectations? And that's like a linchpin to happiness. Um, you know, if you expect your life to look like X, but you're not making enough money to, to be there, you're going to be unhappy. But if you're content with where you're at, then you're great. You know, like we don't need to, to get on that hamster wheel and keep running in place to, to try and get to that, that next level because we're, we're happy with where we're at currently. So I think, you know, really figuring out what makes you happy, what you're content with and, and just being satisfied there, which is a lot easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, but if, if we can manage those expectations, it'll, it'll make everything work out a lot better and make, and make it so you can accomplish those goals. Uh, but to your point, Rochelle, about you know, knowing where you're at, like that's where having that financial plan initially and the sooner you can start and, and kind of get a, a baseline of where you're at relative to your ultimate goals, you know, like you, you'd, you'd much rather know in your 30s or early 40s if it's feasible to retire by your mid 50s than at 49. You know, if you want to retire at 55 
and that's what you're thinking your whole career, but you wake up and then actually have a financial plan done, meet with a financial planner in, in, you know, late forties, early fifties. And like, yeah, there's no way in hell you're retiring at 55. Like you're lucky if you can do it by 65, realistically, you're probably working till 75. That's disappointing. Um, so really the sooner you can understand where you're at relative to your goals and, uh, and kind of have a, a need to have and a nice to have list of goals. We talk about this with, with buying a house, like what's a must have and then what would be cool to accomplish, but, but not mandatory. Well, let's make sure we're setting ourselves up to achieve the need to haves. And then if we can get some of the nice to haves, great. But you know, knowing what, knowing where we're at, revising those expectations if need be, and that'll hopefully lead to a little bit more satisfaction. And I think this is, we're, we're talking almost a little too doom and gloom, I feel like. When you like go into that review of your financial plan and you're, you're doing things, you could very well have some very nice surprises. It could be like, hey, I'm ahead of where I wanted to be. Like, we're really on track. If anything, you know, we've saved more than we might need to. And maybe we're ready to retire a little bit earlier than we expected. Or or maybe like we're at the point where if something happened, we don't need our disability insurance anymore because if we had to quit, we'd be good. Like if you get to that point, it's, it's very possible as you're reviewing your financial plan that you come across pleasant surprises, too. So, you know, I don't want people to think that like it's always going to be painful because it won't like it definitely won't. It can be something that's that's very proactive and, and helps you kind of evolve your goals and all of that kinds of, of, of kind of things. But it can also just be a great moment to be like, pat yourself on the back. You've done a good job. Yeah, that, I love those conversations frequently with people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes I'll talk to folks and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I'd really like to retire by 60. It'd be cool if I could, you know, maybe retire by late fifties or work part time, you know, and, and ease into it. I was like, well, if you could work part time, you know, sooner, would you be cool with maybe continuing to work part time a little bit past 60? It's like, oh yeah. You know, if I only had to work one or two days a week, you know, that'd be cool. It's like, okay, well, what if you wanted to start working part time at age 50? And just do that until you're 63, 65. What do you think of that? It's like, oh, that'd be awesome. Well, cool. Um, <laughs> let's let's plan on doing that then, because you're on a pretty good track. To if you want to scale back in your 50s, then you can do it. So, kudos to you. So yeah, I mean, so I think that's, that's kind of an yeah, that's an amazing idea too, because you still have income coming in, so we're not necessarily tapping into our reserves. Maybe we're at the point where we just don't need to save a whole lot more. Maybe we just need our money to be able to sit and grow a bit, and then you have so much time to be able to do the things that you really enjoy doing. And yeah, I love that idea. I feel like I think a lot of physicians are are very like happy with that idea too, because it can be pretty grueling work medicine, but other people find it really rewarding too. So that can kind of be the best of both worlds for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you switch careers completely, just do something that's enough to pay the bills, but you're not tapping into your retirement accounts. And you know, that's something that's you know, when you look at it, I think a lot of the, the, the financial plans, it focuses on just what's the drop dead date. You know, we go from work, work, work to no work at all and, you know, not factor in there's a chance that we could ease into retirement or, or still have some income in quote unquote retirement. Like 
you know, a lot of you will retire from medicine, but still work doing something else. You know, maybe you're, you, you, you get a job as a medical director for some company and you're working one day a week and making hundred thousand bucks a year or whatever. I don't know, 50,000 a year. It's like, you know, that's great. You, you don't have to work super hard. You're, you're still kind of doing what you're trained to do, but not as, as rigorous. Uh, maybe you do something else completely, go work for a nonprofit or, or, uh, or some charity or go teach. I don't know. You know, there, there's a lot of options out there. You'd be a consultant, like with your credentials, your education, your training, your experience, you could absolutely consult for a variety of different companies, um, in, in, in whatever they're, you know, pursuing, um, and, and make pretty good money doing it without a whole lot of work. Like, uh, you know, I know a number of people that do that, you know, they, they literally work like a half day a week, one day a week, and they're making 50,000 a year consulting for a company. Um, so that could very be very well be a possibility for a lot of you to where the whole idea of, of work until you're 60 or 65 and then stop when, you know, you could potentially in your early fifties scale back to part time, keep, you know, earning a little bit of income, but we're not pulling from our retirement accounts, let our retirement accounts continue to compound for another decade and, uh, and kind of ease our way in that way. Absolutely. And there's so many of these different things that just that'll change, you know, and I think there's other examples besides retirement, too. We spent a lot of time focusing on that just because it's such a, a long term thing. So there's just more room for error. But I mean, it can apply to college savings. You know, maybe you save a lot for college and then little Mr. or Miss Genius gets a scholarship. And now you're like, well, what do I do with all this money? A good problem to have. Um, but definitely helps to be revisiting these things over time. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is that, you know, whether you're working with a financial planner or not, it's important to be engaging in financial planning, preferably like with your partner, if you have one, like having those conversations together can be really helpful. Um, and making sure you're reviewing at least yearly and then doing some revising and updating as needed. And over time, I think that will get you closer and closer to the mark. So like Corey said, you're, you're a little bit less wrong every year. <laughs> yeah, it's not a one and done activity. It's, it's an ongoing, evolving process um, as life changes, the world around us changes. So make sure you're, you're being proactive, staying on top of it. Doesn't mean you need to necessarily like change things every year. Just, you know, spot check where you're at. You know, are we on track to reaching our goals? If so, great. If we're ahead of schedule, even better. If we're behind schedule, are there any adjustments we could make to course correct and uh, revise and, and repeat over time? Mm-hmm. You can do it. <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you. Have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram at 
Vanderzanden Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our financial clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group LLC. 